Well, Jonathan Edwards was one of the greatest theologians in American history. He's probably most famous for his sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Um, the liberals and non-believers take that in a direction it shouldn't be taken. But he's far more than that great sermon of God's grace to desperate sinners who are going to die. Uh, he wrote a book called The Religious Affections. I highly recommend it. Somebody asked me this week, should I read Augustine's Confessions? Yes. Read that and then come right by and read Jonathan Edwards' The Religious Affections. Uh, he wrote many other books, but in, his, in, the, in, he, in this Yale University Press collection, there's this one book called The Miscellanies. And it is his collection in his early life of just his thoughts on a variety of topics. There's some structure to it, but it's not a systematic theology per se. And so today we're going to look at what I call Solomon's miscellanies. Uh, You could say the whole book of Ecclesiastes is just Solomon's collection. There's some structure to it, not, not like Paul's argument in Romans, right? Where he talks about the sin of mankind, both Gentile and Jew, salvation through Jesus alone, the hope and the sanctification that you're conformed to the image of Christ. And then you ask, well, what about the Jew, the sovereignty of God that he will come back for his people? And then what do you do with all that? You serve. Romans 12, 1, uh, therefore, based on all this good theology, let us present our lives as a sacrifice to God. That's a very structured argument. Not so with Solomon. It's kind of his miscellanies. And so today, uh, we're just, we've got a bunch of issues to discuss. And so what I thought I'd do is just give it some structure. We're in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 13 through 10, 20. And so here's the big picture, just some structure to this. Uh, the ability of wisdom. You're going to see wisdom's power in the first seven verses. And then the last uh, 19 verses, you're going to see wisdom's path. And along the way, we're going to talk about lots of things. So here's my challenge to you. Pay attention to all of it, and whatever resonates with you, whatever pops off the page, whatever the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart, go with it. Here's the main point. God's wisdom empowers us to negotiate and navigate life. And so we're going to begin with the power of God. In verse 13, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. And so we deal with this word also. In addition to the priority of joy in the life of dismay that ends in death, that we are to be a joy. I've also seen something in it impressed Solomon. What impressed Solomon? It's wisdom's power. Uh, We're coming to the end of the book. And so he has um, rightly, he's going to start reviewing some things. And so a principle he gave earlier in 719, he said this, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. That, that's the principle. And so in 14 of chapter 9, he's going to give you a picture. There was a, a little city with few men in it. You get that on one side. A small city, not very many men. And a great king came against it. How do you become great? It's because you don't have little cities. You have bunch bunches of little cities. You have nations and you're a great king. And he besieged it, building great siege works against it. And so in those day and age, even if the little city had walls, the great king would come and with all his might and all his power, he'd build a ramp and just take over the little city. You have a little city with few men and a great king with great power. But there was found in it, in this little city, a poor wise man powerless in the eyes of most, but there's this poor wise man. 
And by his wisdom, he delivered the city. By his wisdom. So here's a poor man that nobody would have thought had any power whatsoever, but he was wise. And he was used by God to deliver this city. Yet, no one remembered that poor man. Huh. It's how quickly we forget. Solomon's trying to bring out this idea is we, we, we soon forget those great things that happened in our life. I bet many of you showed up today and you didn't think about the poor man that was on a farm that left the farmland to go be an apprentice to a machinist in Detroit. And although he didn't in, invent the automobile or the assembly line, most of you got here today because Henry Ford made what was available to all people. But but we forget that, right? Every time we turn on our car, we don't go, wow, Henry Ford, allow, in some sense, in God's providence, allows me to drive. We, we forget. And the point is here is we, it's not about the poor man. It's about this issue of wisdom. And Solomon goes on and he gives a principle in 16. But I say, though, though men may be forgotten, wisdom is better than might. It truly is mind over matter. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Verse 17, he says this, the words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Wisdom is powerful. And though we may be forgotten, despised, uh, many times we misread situations. We think, you know, if somebody's in this area of life, they're not uh, wise. Or if they have things, they must be really smart to have all these gadgets and things. And that's bigger is not always better. Richer is not always smarter. In fact, the quiet words of wisdom is better than the shouting of fools. Wisdom is better. Um, We've talked about this before. In our life, when, when I say something is better, that's just my taste. That's not necessarily a truth. But this is in the scriptures. This is a truth, right? If I say, I don't know, I like crunchy peanut butter better than creamy peanut butter. Some of you may go, oh, no, no. And if I say Jif, you say Peter Pan. You know, we can get into these discussions, but here it's not up for discussion. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. And that's why David told Solomon to go after it. Look at, look at these verses. This is David to Solomon in Proverbs chapter 4. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts and do not forsake my teaching. When I was the son, a son of my father, and so that's Solomon writing, he's the son of his father, who's his father, David, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, that's Bathsheba, he, David, taught me and said to me. So these words that follow in verse four through nine are David's words to Solomon, who in turn Solomon's given them to Rehoboam and his children. Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. And so he ties wisdom to the scriptures. And then here's what he says. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, that is wisdom, and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. If, if the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, then the beginning of that knowledge is to go get it. It's to acquire it. Go after it. Get insight. Prize her highly. She will exalt you. She will honor you. If you embrace her, she will put on you your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. We 
in God's providence, the way he, he wants us to go after it. He wants to use, us to use our minds. He wants us to go get it in the scriptures. And the problem with many Bible churches is we get so much Bible that we don't pursue wisdom for ourselves. And so my encouragement to you in light of these first few verses, if wisdom is, has a power, it's mightier than the weapons of war, go after it. Hardcore. And, and, and I am happy. This is the, I've said this before. I'll say it again. There, you know, in, in I think it's second or third John, John says, I have nothing greater than to see my children walking in the truth. And an application of that, I have nothing greater than to see people walking in the truth. Nothing greater. Because that's where it turned on for me. When Howard Hendricks, when, when Curtis Rippey, men who are famous for their teaching, men that you don't even know, showed me how to approach God and to build a relationship with him through the scriptures and through prayer, and they showed me how to study the Bible, there's, no, there's nothing greater than that. I mean, I will give up trips to Sylvan Lake. You want to go to Sylvan Lake? No, I'm going to Yeti's, and I'm going to show somebody how to study the Bible. That's how it's in, much it's important to me, to acquire it. I'll show you websites to access it. It's that important. It's like, as, as Solomon says, it's a precious treasure. It's like a godly wife that should be sought after. Look at the end of, of verse um, 18 of Ecclesiastes. But one sinner, in, in the pursuit of all this wisdom, one sinner destroys much good. One sinner, and he gives an illustration to follow up, 10.1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly, one sinner, outweighs wisdom and honor, much good. Perfume in those days was valuable. It gave off a pleasing aroma, but a few grams of a deceased insect, and it becomes foul. I mean, literally, somebody's, somebody's calling you at church. Literally, one apple can ruin the whole bunch. You've heard it, and Solomon talks about it here. He uses a different illustration, but it's true. I used to work for one of the most prestigious corporations. So it was actually a society cooperative, if we want to be. But I worked for Arthur Anderson. He's one of the world powers in accounting and consulting services. How many of you, raise your hand, have your accounts with Arthur Anderson? Oh, yes, because they don't exist. I mean, there's a little office in Chicago. But how many of you have heard of Arthur Anderson? Yes, I used to work for them. I put on the suit and tie, sometimes five days a week. But one fella maybe two in Houston, ruined it. Two guys in Houston. No more Arthur Anderson. It's true. Dead flies make a perfumer's ointment, give off a stench. And now when you hear Arthur Anderson, again, you, it's always got, got that asterisk by it, right? I mean, I go, to, I go to SMU and I'm like, oh, that school with the death penalty. <sighs> Arthur Anderson, oh, that company that used to be. And so what Solomon has said here in this first section is wisdom is very powerful, but wisdom is not ultimate. The pen is mightier than the sword, but a few ounces of foolishness outweigh pounds of wisdom. Weakness isn't bad. The poor man, as long as he's wise, can be used by God. And to be unknown isn't unworthy. They forgot about him. They despised him. I mean, if you were to put up on and just do a poll in the USA Today, how many, of you know, how many of you know and have been moved by Tom Nelson or Hugh Hefner? I guarantee you 
The majority of the world knows exactly who Hugh Hefner is, and he's done no good for the world. But Tom Nelson, some of you know, and his song Solomon has been used mightily, not as powerfully as Hugh Hefner has been used, but he's been forgotten and despised, and so God still uses him. That's the power of wisdom. It is powerful, but it is not ultimate. And so now we're going to go down this road of wisdom, this path of wisdom. You're going to see seven things. And again, whatever the Holy Spirit convicts you, take it. Number one, wisdom and choice. A wise man, his heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart inclines him to the left. But a fool's heart to the left. Even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone, Literally, that's what it says in the Hebrew. Some of yours says he demonstrates, but it literally, he says to everyone, he's a fool. He doesn't even understand he's a fool, but he's just telling everybody, I'm a fool, and he's going down the wrong road. There is a fork in the road for us, right? We're heading up, you're heading up to Sylvan Lake. You can't get to Sylvan Lake going left. I mean, I, granted, don't go there. You could go left, and then, but by road, You've got to go right or left. There's a fork in the road in life as well. And there is a right path. It is the wise path. It is according to the scriptures. Take the right path and stay on it. This is what Moses wrote. Only be strong and courageous. Be very careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Here's the key. Do not turn when you're on the right path. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Stay on that path that you may have good success wherever you go. And how does he tie wisdom into all this? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Once you meditate on it, once you let it seep into your mind. uh, I remember a gentleman that used to come to this church. He he used to talk about letting scriptures marinate. I love that language. It's just, here's the truth. Just let it marinate. Let it soak in. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? And here's a great verse for you. When you're wise, you won't be frightened. Do not be frightened. and Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is always with you. There's no need to uh, call, invite him. God is always with you. He is always with you. There's wisdom and choice. You have a choice to make. You can go down the, the right road. For you, it would be the right road or, or the left. That is wisdom and choice. And then there's wisdom and patience. In verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 10, If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness may lay great offenses to rest. Solomon said it like this in another proverb, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word turns up anger. Be patient. There's no need to, to get been out of shape when somebody goes wrong because here's what follows. Verse 5, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. In the context, here is an angry ruler and the errors that come from it. Anger leads to foolishness. That would be something you'd learn on the road of wisdom. Number one, he says, folly is set in many high places and the rich in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And so his point here. And don't get so confused and say, okay, then if I'm not rich um, or if I'm not a prince, no, no, that's not the point, is it? It's people are in positions they shouldn't be. Fools get appointed to positions they shouldn't be. And so here he's saying, I, I've seen this set in high places. It's not right, in a sense, that he saw 
uh, the slaves on horses. What he's saying is he's looking around and you never see those slaves on horses. They're always walking on the ground. But somehow this, in his anger, this ruler was foolish and appointed people that should not have been appointed. Paul said it like this, um, do not lay hands too quickly on someone. First, let them prove themselves. We're in the um, process right now. One of our elders is leaving, and so we're looking around, right? We're not laying our hands on too quickly, but we're going to appoint somebody that's proven themselves. We're not going to be foolish. We're going to use wisdom. We're going to be patient. Wisdom and choice, wisdom and patience. And here's one, wisdom and success at work. These next verses, this is OSHA's favorite verses. This is where you get orange vest, hard hats, latex gloves. You get now strapped in roofers. Uh, but before that, look, look, here's what happened. In 1932, you've, you've seen this picture, right? The picture of those men sitting on that beam. I don't think OSHA was around then. Now, um, these men, it's 1932. It said that these men were willing to work anywhere. It's the Depression area, era. I read a little bit about it. They said it was staged. Fine. Okay, you know, I started thinking about, oh, this picture isn't worth it now that it's staged. No, they still had to crawl out on a beam, 69 foot. (laughs) So watch out, gentlemen, right? If you're going to crawl out on the beam, here's what Solomon says in verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it. Be careful, you're a pit digger. You may fall into your own pit. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through the wall. They were talking about those who were in there tearing down walls. Uh, serpents burrow in walls and you could get bitten. I'm not kidding. I've heard about it. There have been men go and rescue, not rescue, or rescue families from boas that were in the air duct systems in homes. <laughs> I'm so glad, glad there's not boas in Eagle or Gypsum. That would be just, you know, go over and you just, you, you know, open that vent just to get a little air flowing through the house and then there's this 12-foot boa just looking at you like, can I eat you? Serpents bite those who break through walls. Be careful if you're going to be breaking through walls. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. You're going to work with stones? Sometimes you get hurt. I mean, you talk to those who are in construction and, you know, I go do some construction work and I get a little scratch. I'm like, oh, and they're like, dude, you're going to quarry stones? You're going to get hurt. Put a Band-Aid on it, get back to work. He who splits logs is endangered by them. There's inherent danger in some work. We move on to dangers to to using our head when it comes to work. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. Right? This is is that um, trying to drive a stick shift. You can't find it, grind it. I mean, if you just muscle it, you'll get it there. No, use your noggin. Learn how it works there. This is where Covey got his sharpen the saw habit, right? You're going you're gonna to mow your lawn, and if you never sharpen that blade, there's going to come a point in time, right? Because in all Colorado, we never use gas mowers. It's all just a la natural. But if you don't sharpen that blade, right? I mean, that's what we do. Never mind. But you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be sitting there using your muscle trying to cut that grass or take the time, sharpen the blade. So not only can work be dangerous, but we've got to be smart. We don't need to work harder. We need to work smarter. And in verse 11, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no profit. There's no advantage to the charmer. You have to think about that for a little bit. But it, the idea behind it is that, number one, the 
charmer gets paid for the serpent to do this and not bite him. So he better be good at what he's doing. He better utilize his gifts. Otherwise, it's no advantage to him. And so the keys here to wisdom and success at work, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Your greatest strength can be your greatest weakness. I mean, if you know how to dig pits, you got to be careful. And you got to put up the, again, OSHA would have you put up the orange things around there. Don't go in here. You might fall into it. Sharpen the saw. Fools don't listen, and it comes back to bite them. You think of the biblical illustration of Haman. He didn't listen, and he was so out for himself, one day he made some gallows to which eventually another day he would be hung on them. Wisdom. You have choice, patience. You need to be successful at work. Use wisdom. How about wisdom in our words? Ooh. The words of a wise man, wise man's mouth, win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of words of his mouth, this is the fool, is foolishness and the end of his talk is madness. He is a mad fool, this person who isn't wise. A fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. Here's a fool who has no idea what he's doing, but he continues just to speak. It's the classic open mouth, insert foot. Solomon said it like this in two other places. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of fool brings ruin near, or ruin is at hand. The more you open up the mouth, the more chance you have to be a fool. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I love this. I live by this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise, and when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Where does that all start? We go, you go back a few verses and you see a wise man, his heart inclines him to the right. A fool's heart inclines him to the left. My friends, whatever flows from your mouth, always, always, every single time, every single time flows from your heart. Jesus said it like this, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it starts in the heart, right? Right here. It comes up through the mouth. And I just want to expand this into all forms of communication. In our day and age, that's what we are. We are a communicative culture. We text, we email, we Facebook, we tweet. The overflow of your heart it's not, I think in our day and age, I think Jesus would, would agree with me here. The overflow of the heart, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'd say out of the abundance of the heart, your little thumbs text, little fingers email. Praise the Lord. I am growing in this area. If you've been around here anytime, you know I'm growing in this area. But one thing I can praise God for, and it's just, it was a conviction of, we, I don't send emails anymore. I mean, emails for me these day and age are just, yes, I will be there. Or you give as much detail. But if somebody emails something back and it's a negative, like, let's go talk. But we're, what we're not going to do is email back and forth. Because anytime, I'm just encouraging you, just another freebie. Anytime you email, there's always, I'm telling you, I've seen a man, one of the most gracious it was a wonderful email, but he mistook it. And I'm just like, man, 
So emails are dangerous. I'm just telling you, just be careful. The overflow of the heart, that's how we communicate. Got to be wise with our words, wise with our broadened communication. Wisdom gives us a choice. Wisdom helps us be patient. Wisdom gives us success at work. Wisdom helps us with our communication. And then there's wisdom and leadership. Verse 15 of chapter 10. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. There's many ways to take this. Does he not know the way to the city because he just is ignorant of it? Or he's just, he knows the way to the city, but he doesn't utilize what he knows. The whole point in all this is he has no sense of direction and he doesn't ask for help. He, he wearies himself, but he doesn't get, fun, get back to the city because he has no sense of direction. You need to learn to ask for help. It's humbling. It's humbling to ask for help, isn't it? And I think you ask for help from two people. Number one, you ask for help from God, James 1.5. Uh, you know James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, no, it's right there. Let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. But I, And I think that should be first. If you lack wisdom in any area of your life, choices you're making, work, being patient, if you communicate communication, ask God. That means pray. God, give me wisdom. Parenting. God, give us wisdom on how to raise our kids. Amen? But I don't think it stops there. Because I think too many of us, because we're rugged, we're rugged, we're Americans, 4th of July. I'm going to ask God, and then I'm going to go do it. No, 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 no. Let me give you someone else to ask. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many, many advisors, they succeed. Ask God if you lack wisdom and ask people. Ask them. Hey, I need a little wisdom here. And you ask four or five people. I, in, my, in my personal scene, this isn't, don't go be a legalist on this. In my personal life, I kind of do the whole five. Five people ask, and it's really the same thing Then I'm pretty sure that God's guiding not only through the prayer to him, but the counsel of others. If I'm asking five guys about something and four of them are saying, no, don't do it. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be Rehoboam. I'm going to do it. That's probably foolish. Probably foolish. Ask for help. Because if you don't ask for help and you continue to toil in foolishness, here's what's going to happen to those who are youthful. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince's feast in the morning. Solomon is not against youth. He's just against youthful thinking. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your prince's feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. How many times have you seen, and I've been there, put the young guy in the position and he doesn't do what he's called to do. He doesn't fulfill the purpose of it. That's what Solomon is saying. Being a leader, number one, you've got to ask for help. You've got to know where you're going. Don't not find your way to the city. And number two, you got to understand proper times and thinking maturely. Paul said it like this, flee youthful passions, right? The youth are like, hey, I'm the king. You're my friends. We can do whatever we want. Let's have a party. That's what, that's, that's what it says in the New Living or some other translation. Let's have a party. But Paul says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Peter said it like this. I'm not kidding you. I was in Colorado when I first 
this verse just jumped off the page. It was January 1st, 1998. By that time, some of you had been skiing for years. You're doing glissade and whatever you do. Not me. It was my first time to ski ever. And why I remember this verse is because I didn't go skiing with my buddies who like to feast in the morning. I had, by God's grace and for his glory, said, I'm going to go to Denton, Texas. I'm going to be discipled. I'm going to try to get wise. And all my buddies in Dallas were like, really? Is that a cult? You're going to church? That's weird. So I'm, you know, I'm questioning my decision. I'm out of college, not knowing, you know, starting work, working for Arthur Anderson. Like, what am I doing? And so these guys say, hey, come skiing with us. And these are good dudes. And you know what song was out at that time? He got knocked down, but he got up again. And so that was kind of the song of my ski trip. And a guy taught me to ski, but one morning, and before we went skiing, we'd all get up, read our Bibles. And I was reading First Peter, and this came right off the page. Don't, don't be... Flee youthful passions. Why? For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. And I was like, drinking parties? I used to do that. And lawless idolatry. And I'm sitting there going, okay, tell me more, Lord, this is good. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. That was my, they're like, they didn't want me to go. They're shocked that I didn't want to go drinking with them anymore. In the same flood of debauchery, they malign you. They're like, you're, you're going to join a cult. Ah, but I kept reading. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And I remember it's January 1st, first time I've ever skied. And I'm still not very good. I'm, I'm a monkey on skis. It's horrible. But God used that trip to show me you can get around good folks. You can get around a good community of people, and they can help guide you. They can help guide you. Verse 18. So we've, we've looked at choices. We've looked at uh, patience. We've looked at our words. We've looked at our work. We've looked at leadership. And here, wisdom and laziness. Laziness. Sloth, sloth the roof sinks in. And through indolence, the house leaks. If you don't take care of the little things, they're going to catch up. If you procrastinate, we, we don't want you to procrastinate. I don't want to be a procrastinator. You know, you used to, I used to say, I put the pro in procrastination. No, you don't say that. You know, that whole saying, why do today what you can put off into tomorrow? It sounds good, but that's not good. What I've learned over the years is that procrastination is a problem of spirituality long before it's a problem of productivity. There are many things I could do, but there's a few things I should do. So we don't want to be ladies, lazy. We want to take care of the little things. The little things. That's In our life, it's, a, it's really, if you think about it, think about this. It's about the little things. And we can be lazy when it comes to the little things. Little things. Proverbs 6 says it like this. We can learn from the ants. On our deck, we have little ants. They crawl up. They get on my arm or my foot. And you just look at the ant. And you think, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief or officer or ruler because it's just instinct in them. She prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. You ever seen an ant? They go to a picnic. They're not there uh, just enjoying life. They are preparing. You leave that watermelon alone. Here they go, and you just see it carried off. 
How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? See, it's the little things. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on from you like a robber. And want like an armed man. It comes up out of nowhere. Just a little, remember a couple weeks ago we looked at Proverbs 7, that young man who was going down the wrong road and he went down at night when it was dark and pitch black and he turned the corner to her house and all of a sudden he was entrapped. Here it's the same thing. You, you put off a little here, you put off a little there and all of a sudden, like a robber, like an armed man, it comes upon you. You compromise in the little things. Don't do that. Through sloth, the root sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. That's wisdom and laziness. A couple more here, wisdom and sustenance. There's two ways to take this. So if we were to go back and we were to read 16, you don't have to put it up there, Ben, I'll just read it. But if you were to read 16 through 19, maybe all this goes together. So woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, your princes feast in the morning. Those through sloth, the roof sinks in. So this, this is a young man who doesn't know how to lead. He's not using it for the purposes it should be. He's lazy. And then this is a sarcastic verse. That's one way to take this. Bread is for laughter. Wine gladdens life. Money answers everything. That's one way to take it. I think it, it's better to let it stand alone and just read it for what it says. Bread is made for laughter. Or some of your versions say feasts or meals bring joy. Wine does gladden life and money does answer everything. Notice it says answer. It doesn't say satisfy. So don't, oh, the pastor said money. I'm going to go make money. No, it doesn't say it satisfies. See, it's not money's not the problem, right? We've talked about this before. Love of money is the problem. More on that next week when we get into risk and finances. But here it's the idea that, that meals are good and wine does gladden life. And money, there, it takes money to enjoy life. It is not the uh, satisfier of all things, but money does answer something. It takes money, and Solomon knew that long before Jesus got here. We, we seem to think that this whole idea with money and all of this is just an American thing. This is a very Jewish thing. This is very B.C. I'm, a, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed at what money can do. That, that's really what this is about. I am absolutely amazed at what money can do. The hip, trendy show, and I can recommend it from the pulpit, is Fixer Upper. They're believers in Jesus. They're in Waco, and they fix up houses. They take houses that don't look good, and they apply a little money to them with people who are on a budget. They're always good to show you. Here's your budget. You're staying within budget. So this isn't about going to just spending, but it's amazing what a little money can do to a rundown house. I was asking somebody this morning about that. I was just like, help me understand remodeling. I mean, I just saw one as a $41,000 remodel. Is that what happens here? And they're like, multiply that like times 15. I was like, really? Yeah. I was like, you're kidding me. No. I have, what are some of the jobs you've worked on? Some of them have been really high up there. Here, I'm just giving you an example of one because this puts it in perspective of what money can do. In other parts of the country, I won't name any states, Texas, you can buy a house, a house, okay? This is slab, walls, roof, right? We're going to keep up with the little things, no sloth so that roof doesn't cave in. 
furniture. You can get everything for $190,000. Or you can get cabinets. <laughs> In Vail, you can get cabinets. Yeah, it makes you laugh. It's amazing. So I think Solomon's here is not saying go out and, and just make money. I'm think, He's saying just, it is what it is. This is what bread does. This is what wine does. And that's what you can do with your money. <laughs> Give it in context. Be, be wise. Be wise in life. Don't be lazy. Make good choices. Work well. Work smart. And the final thing, wisdom and conscience. Even in your thoughts, verse 20, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For the bird of the air will carry your voice and some winged creature will tell the matter. You ever heard somebody say, a little birdie told me? Where do you think they got that? Right here. They may not know that that's where they got it, but I'm telling you, next time they say, oh, little birdie told me, they say, oh, you're close, uh, quoting Ecclesiastes 10, 20. I know. <laughs> What's the point? Wisdom, wisdom in your conscience. Be careful. Be careful. Solomon said it like this in another proverb. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the good and the evil. Moses said it like this in Numbers. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and you're, and be sure your sin will find you out. So in our thoughts and our words, understand, you may think you're getting away with it. It may never be found out here on earth. God knows. But more often than not, your sin will find you out. Something will happen. I, I've seen it. I, I, it is amazing to me to watch if there's somebody going down the wrong road and they're a believer God will do something to mess up that for good, right? Right? For good. So let's, this is the hope. God will mess that thing up. That sin will be exposed. And that's how you always begin those conversations. I'm really glad this happened because God's at work in your life and he allowed you to have that happen. And so you think through the Bible. Basically, this is wisdom versus foolishness. And you think through the scriptures and you think of David and Bathsheba at a time when the kings go out to war. That's where he should have been. He was back home. He was foolish. You think of Solomon where it says, and he's the one. This is what blows me away. This is the man, and we were talking about him earlier in our prayer time. He, he was, he's a different cat. He's, he's, he prayed to the Lord. His first prayer as a king, he didn't say, you know, I need, I need a military. I'm going to need this. He said, God, I'm like a little child. I don't know how to lead your people. And God blessed him with a mind, with material, blessed him with everything. And he, you know, I bet you he had a photographic memory. You know he had to read Deuteronomy 15. Do not multiply horses or wives for yourself. But Solomon, the wisest man on earth, not God man, but man, had many wives. His son, Rehoboam, he becomes to the position he says, what do you think I should do? And all the old dudes, all the cu old cuds said, hey, do this, this, and this. Trust me, the people will love you. And then he goes to his young buddies, right? I wonder if Rehoboam read this prior to what he did. He goes to his young buddies, hey, we've been given the keys to the kingdom. This is what I'm going to do. If my, if my daddy was this way, I'm this way. And he split the kingdom. In God's providential plan through Rehoboam, he had his kingdom split. 
How about Haman? We talked about him before. He, he, all he had to do was go, I don't understand why this guy won't bow, but I'm just going to let him be and go about my business. But he tried to ruin a nation, and he himself got ruined. Ananias and Sapphira. All they had to say is, yeah, we sold it for 190 We were going to buy some cabinets. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They did, just, we sold it for 190 Here, we're giving you 90 But they were asked, did you give all that you got? Oh, yeah, I gave it all. <laughs> Dead. Foolishness is not good. But there's hope. Jesus said this to the disciples, and I think it expands to us. Behold, I am. It's not an I am statement that gets, it's not ones in John, it's in Matthew. And I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. He called us to be wise in your hand. Okay, great that Jesus calls us to be wise. What about enabling us? No problem. Luke 21, 15. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be with able to withstand or contradict. What God commands, he empowers. Augustine prayed the prayer, and you'll read about this. You'll read about this. Lord, command what you will, but grant what you command. And so if God's called us to be wise, he will give us wisdom. He will give us the wisdom. Take those same people. You see David later on used wisdom with Abigail. Here he is. Nabal, whose name means fool. She said, don't be a fool like my husband who's named fool, which you wonder about that. He was wise and allowed. He he listened to counsel. Solomon, before all his wives, was good at leading, so much so that the Queen of Sheba came to see all this. Elihu, in the book of Job, you have these three old guys, and this goes to show you Not always old guys come up with the right stuff. Sometimes they can be so stuck in their tradition, and that's what happened here. Eliphaz, who is it? Tamar, Eliphaz, and one other guy. Job, this is why it happened to you. Tit for tat, you do this, this is what happens. And Elihu says, you know, I've listened three times to you guys go round and round, and I've waited. Here's the counsel of the Lord. And at the end, those three guys were rebuked. Elihu's not rebuked because he was wise. He said, is God, is God not a great teacher, Job? This is happening to you for a reason. Or the Gentile woman in the life of Christ comes to Jesus. Lord, may I have some food? And he said, I've, I've come only to the lost sheep of Israel. Even the dogs get the crumbs. It's wisdom. Or the Ethiopian eunuch. He's got his scroll right? He's got his scroll open. He's sitting there reading because it literally says he's reading out loud. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened his mouth and here comes Philip and he's like, I'm reading this thing, but how can I understand unless somebody guides me? He, he had the wisdom to ask for help. He wasn't like the young guy who didn't know the way to the city. He's He's, and this was a, a guy who had it all, and he had rich enough to afford the scroll, and he said, hey, can you help me? And Philip says, why, sure, I, sh- I can help you. And what he was reading 
is Isaiah 53. It's Jesus who commands us and says he'll give us wisdom to be wise as serpent, and he gives it to us. The reason we have that is because we are in him. We are in Christ. How are we in Christ? We're in Christ because we have seen that there is a God who exists, and man has fallen. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die a death that we should have died, and he rose that we might live a life according to his standards. What God commands, he will enable. And so what I've, I've given you a lot to consider today, right? It's like you've come to your first swim class and they're like, your breathing is terrible. You don't know how to kick and your strokes look like you're a drowning man. So breathe like this, kick like this, and you walk out. And you don't know. It's too much. It's too much to handle. I've got to turn my head this way and turn it that way. Okay, all the time I've got to kick with my hips, not with my knees. And I've given you a lot to consider. So just choose one. Is it, is it wisdom in making choices? Are you going down the right path? Is it wisdom or patience? You're in a situation right now, you wish you were out of it, but God's saying, just, just be patient. Is it, is it wisdom in your work? In your work, are you working smarter or are you just working harder? Do you need to back up and say, are we doing things well? That's partly why we did the reboot. Are we doing things well? If not, we need to change it. Wisdom in your words, in your communication. How's your communication? How are your Facebook posts? How are your tweets? Wisdom in your leadership. Those of us who are in leadership positions, how are you leading? Are you leading well? Are you asking for help? Sometimes you get in a leadership position, you're like, I'm the leader. I'm, I can't ask for help. I'm the leader. No, ask for help. Use it purposefully. If you're young in here, be wise. Wisdom in laziness. Lazy? Slothful? A little slumber, a little sleep. Are you going down that road? I mean, that's how you look at feel, You look at lawns that... that uh, or just out of control. And you say, how did that get out of control? It didn't, it's not like I cut my lawn last Monday and all of a sudden it's just overwhelming. It's just that, oh, that one, I'm just not going to get to it. Oh, I'll get to it next week. And all of a sudden you got, you're taking the weed whacker and you're out there for hours. Wisdom and laziness. Wisdom in, in uh, life. Enjoy life, understand money, and wisdom in your conscience. Which one of those do you need to work on?